video surveillance in general is pretty boring stuff. Most of the time, there's nothing going on in front of the camera. I'm Brian Adolph, and this is Unlocked, a podcast series about campus physical security from Asa Abloy. What happens in front of your security cameras might be boring for the most part, but what's not boring are the advances in technology being made in video surveillance. The move from analog to IP-based digital video are making your cameras intelligent, allowing you to add things like analytics, which are turning cameras from a reactive tool to a proactive one. Rather than documenting a situation after the fact, you can now use video surveillance to possibly prevent a crime. But the move to IP-based cameras isn't without its pitfalls, namely cybersecurity threats, and as always, the constant threat to your budget. This is the topic we cover today as we unlock video surveillance. Before we dive into the wonderful world of modern video surveillance, let's take a trip to Richmond, Virginia, to the campus of Virginia Commonwealth University, to be exact, where we meet one Chief John Venuti. Everyone here in this environment in the city of Richmond knows that if you come down to VCU and you've got bad intentions, we're going to catch you and we're going to catch you on camera. That's right. VCU's chief of police uses video surveillance to keep his campus safe. And boy, does it work. But it wasn't always this way. When Chief Venuti started at VCU in 2010, he found the video surveillance system was old. It was outdated and in desperate need of an upgrade. What was happening was VCU police would investigate a crime. When they went to pull video footage from different cameras on campus, they found poor quality, barely usable footage. A lot of times we found broken equipment that we had no idea was even broken until we needed to rely on that technology. This did not help in their investigations. And so he began to explore what was needed to upgrade his system. And for us, it was a really, really daunting task because... You know, in in the world of policing um, and technology in general, the technology is constantly evolving. Chief wanted to be sure as he did his research that whatever technology he settled on would not be irrelevant in a couple of years. And I'm sure whoever put in the video system here when they put in the old system was a genius. I'm sure it was cutting edge as soon as they flipped the switch. But what we failed to have here was any type of strategic um, plan for upgrades, integration, Um, So it was more or less an initial investment with really no plan for the future. So what we're in the process of doing is we wanted to make sure that, you know, the the new technology that that we put in, you know, wasn't one vendor specific. It wasn't one camera specific. It was more plug and play so that we had the flexibility. Even in the two years that we did the upgrade, camera technology has changed dramatically. And the cameras are much better now than they were two years ago. And I think that that's, you know, that's really an ongoing issue. And I would say that our upgrade to our video surveillance system has probably been, uh, I call it a game changer. Chief Anuti introduced a whole bunch of security initiatives during his time at VCU. But upgrading his video surveillance system is a major reason he can claim one of the safest campuses in the country. In a recent survey, 97% of students, faculty, and staff report feeling safe or very safe at VCU. An impressive feat in a city that ranks high nationally in most all categories of crime. So now instead of cameras that don't work, the chief has the whole city looking out for him. And again, you know, when we have a, a, an incident that occurs and we've got really, really good usable photographic evidence and we're looking to identify people, 
you know, those shots go to the news. And when those shots go to, you know, the three news stations and the picture is clear as day, 10 minutes later, the phone rings and someone's telling us who it is that we're looking for. I come from the data integration and access control world and admittedly didn't know that much about video systems. After talking to Chief Fanuti and hearing about the impact quality video has made at VCU, I wanted to find out how other campuses could do the same. So I spoke with James Marcella. I'm James Marcella. I'm the Director of Technical Services for Access Communications North America. Access is one of the largest manufacturers of security cameras and is doing some pretty impressive things with their technology. After talking with James, I discovered Chief Fanuti's story isn't that uncommon. Even though 9 out of 10 colleges use a video system of some sort, most are legacy systems, meaning they are analog, standalone systems. Now, you'd think that having any video is better than none. But as you heard in VCU's case, if the footage isn't usable, there might as well not have been a camera at all. I learned from James that traditionally, campuses used camera systems as a tool to verify an alarm or to document an incident. Security practitioners are really always all about trying to mitigate risks. But cameras were really only useful after the fact, as a reactive tool. But now that video has migrated from the analog world into the digital world, cameras have become much smarter. They are able to deploy analytics that can alert operators to look at video and potentially stop or proactively mitigate a risk as it's unfolding. These analytics involve not only video, but can do some fascinating things with audio, too. There's a number of different uh, audio uh, analytics that can be employed with network cameras, starting with the very basic, you know, audio threshold levels. Which means once a certain decibel is reached, the camera can alert, let's say, a campus police officer that there was a loud noise in the rec center. And then they can go to the video and see, okay, is this a normal activity going on or is there something else happening there? That is probably the most basic uh, audio analytic that, that you would have out there. Camera manufacturers are also starting to load analytics directly on cameras that do something called audio pattern recognition. So things like aggressive voices, um, breaking glass, or even gunshot detections can alert uh, the campus police force that something uh, else is going on. Most assaults or any type of violent acts are preceded by a verbal altercation. Sounds useful, right? But you're probably also thinking... Oh man, I gotta buy a bunch of new fancy cameras now. We'll talk more about how to budget for these new systems later in the show, but good news is even some of your existing legacy cameras can take advantage of these new audio analytics. Over the last uh, decade, uh, almost all network cameras that have shipped uh, have shipped with a built-in microphone. Uh, some have started to ship with speakers, but with the advent of IP addressable network speakers, whether there's a speaker embedded in the camera or not, the camera can interface with with an external speaker or, or an internal speaker for that matter uh, to play a pre-recorded message and or uh, if you have an operator involved, uh, actually have a two-way dialogue with uh, the person that uh, they're viewing over the video. Before you ask the question, one thing to keep in mind is you're not necessarily recording a person's conversation. But the audio pattern recognition that can be loaded on the camera to detect aggressiveness in somebody's voice is what you're really looking for here. And that would then alert campus law enforcement to actually look at a camera to determine if an action needs to be taken. Along with the audio, there are obviously new video analytic technologies available. 
Some analytics, both video and audio, either come embedded within the camera or come from third-party analytic developers. Definitely check with the camera manufacturer as to what types of analytics are included and which are not. An important analytics feature, and one that is often embedded in the camera, is called a camera tamper alarm. This is an analytic that basically notifies campus law enforcement if someone is obstructing the field of view of the camera, if they've changed the field of view of the camera. Uh, it's a way to, again, proactively notify you that something is amiss. Another cool video analytic example is object left behind or object present. Let's say, for example, you have a college hallway and the hallway is supposed to be empty. And all of a sudden, there's an unknown backpack that's been sitting there for 10 minutes and there's nobody around. And that's abnormal for that area. The analytic could be set to trigger that if an object shows up, then somebody needs to go investigate. At the end of the day, video surveillance, when done right, acts as a force multiplier. It can dramatically increase the effectiveness of your security department as a whole. Like Chief Venuti says, I call it a game changer. At this point, most universities have deployed some sort of video surveillance system, and most are planning on expanding what they have. If you take advantage of the analytics options these new digital cameras provide, you won't just be expanding your ability to figure out what happened after the fact, but you'll be able to provide a proactive level of risk mitigation. And that's really what you're looking for in a video surveillance system. Now, all that being said, much like your tuition, making cameras smarter does come at a price. And beyond cost, there are other considerations to think about. Newer video systems all run on an IP-based network backbone. So now physical security is crossing squarely over into the IT world, IT's servers, IT's communications, and also having to work with IT to vet the technology. An IP camera can easily take up a lot of bandwidth if you're running high frame rate, high resolution images. A huge impact on the data infrastructure like this is something that hasn't been thought about in the past. So let's take a look at some tactics and strategies for budgeting for an upgraded surveillance system, along with some unexpected costs. To help me figure this all out, I reached out to Dwayne Richendaller. My name is Dwayne Richendaller. I am the Director of Technology for our Vertical Markets at Stanley Security. Dwayne's responsible for keeping up with the latest security trends. His team seeks out and vets the new technologies to make sure they actually work and that they fill the real need for customers. It seems like a fun job to me. I always tell everybody my job is to play with all the new toys first. Dwayne impressed upon me just how important it is for security to sit down and talk with IT before even starting a new project. Certainly, they should do some research and find solutions they think will fit their needs. But then at that point, they really need to sit down and start having conversations so that IT can understand what security wants to do and ultimately help them determine what the impact will be on the network. Because when video is recording, all that footage is being stored on your servers. As it turns out, bandwidth and storage are the most costly aspects of video surveillance. Now, here's an important pitfall to watch out for. As a way to make your bandwidth usage more predictable, you can set it's called a constant bit rate for your cameras. This basically means it will cap the bandwidth of your recording. In doing so, though, it degrades the quality of the image so that it can keep it at that bandwidth cap. Now, this is great for budgeting and knowing how much your cost will be every month. But going this route is definitely not something that anyone in the physical security industry would recommend doing because it decreases that image usability factor. And if you remember back in Chief Venuti's case at VCU... 
footage was of poor quality. In other words, not usable. But luckily, camera manufacturers are taking advantage of the new technologies to ease this burden. A really cool thing I found out Access is doing is something called Zipstream. What it can do is look at your video and differentiate between things that are moving and things that are still. So, for example, if I go walking by a brick building, the software might digitally compress the brick building behind me, but keep my image at full resolution. I'm really what's of interest in the video, or at least I like to think so, because typically the security practitioner is interested in the thing that's moving. Using a technology like this can sometimes save up to 50% of your storage and bandwidth costs. Something to keep in mind. Bandwidth isn't your only consideration, though. Here's Dwayne to tell us more. Not only is it going to add bandwidth to the network, but it's also going to increase the amount of hardware. Uh, you know, another aspect from the IT world that people don't typically think of, at least in security, is if I start adding servers and data switches and extra cabling to an IDF or an MDF closet, that increases electrical load to support the equipment, that increases the size of your UPS, you need to back it up in case the power goes out, um, could increase the bandwidth needed between locations, and also the cooling of the area. Um, all areas that you know IT world thinks of and knows because they do that on a daily basis, but security hasn't had to deal with in the past. Another thing IT has typically not had to deal with is the high amount of throughput and storage expectations of a video stream. The server recording side of video surveillance is one of the biggest gotchas to look out for. You see, a lot of colleges are built around virtual machines, VM platforms. And the challenge is a VM platform typically is designed to write data, meaning user data. Dwayne describes this type of data as bursty. You'll get a big chunk of data, then there'll be a lag, a lull in the data stream. And then you'll get another big chunk of data. For example, you send an Excel spreadsheet and it's, you know, say it's a big one, it's 100 megabytes. So you get a burst in your in your bandwidth use, utilization. But once it's done sending that, it slows back down until the next big burst comes. Servers and switches all have a buffer built into them so that they can absorb those big bursts of data. The challenge with video is that as you start bringing on more video streams, it ramps up. And aside from small peaks and lulls, it really never stops. Back down. And as that stream gets bigger and bigger, that buffer gets eaten up. And we see a lot of times where it overflows that buffer and then packets start getting dropped. And then on the same side, on the server, you have a similar situation, but typical hard drive may write at three or 400 megabits per second. But if you're sending you know, a gigabit of data to that server, it just can't write the data fast enough to stay up with the video streams. So this can catch some IT folks off guard because it's really something that most haven't had to work with in the past. That being said, there, there are solutions. There are um, companies out there that make servers that are specifically just for recording video. You know, and their write throughput is is much higher than a VM. In my case, if I'm building a new system, it is always my recommendation to have machines specifically designed for what you're trying to do. Oy vey. Oh, okay, enough of that. Let's hear about how these digital cameras can actually be cost effective when comparing them with analog ones. For example, you know, we'll, we'll randomly pick, say, a, a football stadium. To adequately cover a football stadium literally can take hundreds and hundreds of cameras. Um, in the analog world to get, you know, really good video. Uh, a big portion of what I'm seeing is, you know, more and more the police departments at sporting events, you know, they have several PTZs. They're constantly scanning the crowd. They're looking for incidents that are happening. But if they don't have a lot of analog cameras covering, say, each section of the stands, 
it's easy for them to miss something or the picture quality is so poor from, you know, the resolution that analog camera can produce that they just don't have a quality enough video to be able to really determine what happened and what's going on. If you were to re consider replacing that with an IP solution going one-to-one, uh, obviously in today's world, IP cameras are still more expensive than analog. Uh, your budget would be, you know, huge to replace that as a direct one-to-one. -one. With a higher megapixel cameras, now you can take many times what you would cover with four or five, even six cameras, take one higher megapixel um, IP camera and cover multiple sections and still have the resolution or in, actually in most cases, much better resolution and have reduced your camera count significantly. But if you're using some of the higher resolution cameras, and I, I've seen some of the 180s that go up to 40 megapixels, which you know exceeds even what 4K TV is showing. And, and in those situations, you could replace maybe as much as 15 cameras if you're covering a large open area. Wow. Being able to replace 15 analog cameras with a single 40 megapixel digital camera sounds fantastic, but really expensive. Certainly they are more expensive as you get higher up in the megapixel. But a lot of times what you'll find is if you take the amount of cameras that you know it can replace and divide it out, a lot of times it's the same or just a little bit more. And then as we talked earlier about the infrastructure to support that, you're talking one cable versus, say, 15 cables that you have to pull to a new location. You're talking one data port versus 15. You're talking, you know, cooling for one data port, um, electricity for one data port. Uh, another advantage to the IP world is a lot of these cameras run on PoE, which is power over Ethernet, which means you only have to pull one cable to the camera, where in the past with analog, you had to have a cable or coax that ran your video feed, and then you had to have a power wire that ran to it. James Marcella shared how intelligence onboard cameras can make them a proactive security tool. And Dwayne Richendaller talked about IT considerations and how upgraded camera systems can actually be a cost-effective solution for your campus. But there's one thing they both brought up, a topic that involves both security and IT, and that's the very real threat of campus cyber hacks. IP-based video surveillance just adds one more point for a potential breach on your campus. Here's Dwayne again. Absolutely, there's a cybersecurity risk. You know, these cameras today, they're, they're small computers. If you look at the processing power they have, you know, a lot of these cameras have more processing power than our computers did 30 years ago. Several manufacturers build, you know, extra resources in their cameras so they can run things like analytics at the edge. Then the camera has the ability to process that information. So security around the camera and connectivity to it um, is definitely a risk and a concern. And so again, working with the IT department to identify ways to protect those cameras, isolate them from public access or even internal access of, you know, individuals who aren't authorized. Most of the better manufacturers have the ability to do encryption at the camera so that your video stream is encrypted from the camera back. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to that. The, the you know the the pro is that that video stream becomes much more secure, much more difficult to hack. Um, the downside is it requires additional processing power on both the front end and the back end to you know, encrypt and then decrypt that video stream and record it to the server. 
you should definitely ask the camera manufacturers about their information security policies. What safeguards do they offer within their products? And how do they alert their customers if a vulnerability crops up? So an IT manager should absolutely look at the cyber track record of the company and talk to those companies about what they've built into their products to protect uh, the information and to protect the other devices that are in the network from a cybersecurity policy perspective. That's James Marcella again. You should also find out from the camera makers what tools do they provide to help you properly configure your cameras from the start. Out of the box, most network cameras are going to come wide open, uh, meaning uh, that there are going to be a number of protocols activated to make it easy to install these products. Some of these protocols you don't want to have active uh, in, in an enterprise security environment. So, for instance, like the PNP or Bonjour, these are things that are by default activated for ease of installation, but uh, should probably be turned off. The default networking protocols aren't the only things to watch out for. Probably the biggest oversight when setting up cameras, and even access control systems for that matter, is people don't change the, the default, default password. password. That's probably the first step I do on any new video system is we go in and change the default password, and we don't change it to something simple. We make it convoluted so that it's much more difficult to just randomly guess. So at this point, your camera settings are configured correctly. A smart next step is to isolate your cameras from the other devices on the network. You may also want to lock down specific ports and even put the cameras behind a firewall. Don't forget to turn off unneeded services. And finally, look at the camera. Identify what feature sets it has and exactly the features that you need. Setting up a video system may take quite a handful of steps. But not having to explain why a hacker was able to access the campus network through your cameras will make it worth it in the end. Let's face it, everything that you put on the network eventually is going to have some sort of vulnerability in it. It's just a matter of, of, of time, frankly, uh, before there is some sort of vulnerability that gets introduced. Dwayne and James give me so much good information that I couldn't fit it all into the podcast. So I created a document filled with loads of tips and other important information, things like lifecycle management and why equipment monitoring solutions are necessary. So if your campus is considering upgrading your video system, head over to intelligentopenings.com slash unlocked to download the report. I leave you with one last bit of advice from Access Camera's James Marcello. It's not enough to just put cameras up and hope for the best. Uh, you really should look at each individual camera placement, understand why you're putting a camera there, and make sure that you're deploying the correct technology for the environmental requirements of, of that scene. That's probably, I would say, one of the bigger mistakes that, that people sometimes fall into the trap of, you know, oh, I just need to hang up a couple of cameras here and there, and uh, now I'm going to be protected. Um, you should really consult and work with people who know what they're doing with regards to physical surveillance. Thanks for listening. Unlocked is produced by Riveting FM. You can find more episodes and a bunch of easily shareable content like infographics related to each show's topics at intelligentopenings.com slash unlocked. 